on us this evening. And uh, as Rob uh, shared earlier, this is the second in the, well, I say you choose, you chose series. Um, and particularly this evening, looking at creation care and the Christian life. What, is it, what does it mean to be taking responsibility for the world we live in, the earth we live on? And I've actually found it really helpful this week to actually have some time to sit down and to do a little bit more thinking uh, about this. Um, it kind of two, two bits of my life merging together. I have a degree in geography, although it was mostly a degree in kayaking. I spent all my time doing that um, instead of drinking. Um, uh, and a degree in theology, and the, and the two kind of merging together. And, and it's been really helpful for me to spend some time thinking, reflecting, uh, processing some of this uh, uh, this week. And I don't come here as... as any kind of particular expert, maybe just somebody who spent a bit more time this week thinking about it. Um, and so at the end, I do want to offer an opportunity to ask questions. I can't promise you'll get answers. You might be getting beginnings of answers. Uh, I, I, and to know that others amongst us will have expertise, will have uh, thoughts and reflections to share as well. So do be uh, thinking through particular questions you might have. Feel free to ask them uh, at the end. But to begin with, I want to take us back quite a few years uh, to Christmas Eve, 1968. So not all of us would have been here at that point. Um, Apollo 8 is in orbit around the moon. And they are getting ready for a live TV broadcast to the world. Uh, and towards the end of the broadcast, uh, those watching heard these words. It's not playing ball. Well, I'm not going to do an impersonation of what they did. Sorry. The three astronauts uh, who were up there uh, began to read from Genesis chapter 1. As grainy images of the moon were on uh, people's TV screens uh, from the King James Version, which I don't have with me tonight. They read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God said, let there be light. There was light, God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, darkness he called night. There was evening, there was morning, first day. God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate the waters, water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault, from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. There was evening. There was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered in one place. And let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land. And the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And at the end of the message, uh, they said, good luck, God bless, and a happy Christmas to everyone on the good earth. Now, it's 10 million times more powerful when you uh, watch the video, so feel free to go home. Google Apollo 8, Genesis 1. You'll find the video. Uh, listen to it. Um, but just a few hours um, before that broadcast, before those words were read from close to the, the surface of the moon, uh, one of the astronauts, Bill Anders, took a photo that probably is the, one of the most significant photos, most impactful photos in history. It's a photo that's become known as Earthrise. And this time the computer's definitely going to work and it's going to put it on the screen. 
No, apparently not. We're winning? No, fine. When you get home, or if you've got a phone on you now, get your phone out, Google Earthrise. It's an amazing photo. It's been described by one person as a bright blue, uh, it's the, of, the, of the Earth from the Moon, uh, and it's described as a bright blue and white bauble suspended in black above the relentless grey of the Moon. Earthrise. Uh, it was the Earth appearing from the surface of the Moon. It was the first time, really, that the whole world had been given the opportunity, as that photo was published in the weeks and months after, to see the whole of the Earth. And that's where its impact came in. Uh, This is what Bill, the guy who took the photo, said in 2018. Suddenly, people realized that we lived on this fragile planet and we needed to take care of it. We came all this way to explore the moon and we discovered the Earth. See, being able to see Earth from space, to see its beauty, to see its uniqueness, to uh, see it in one big picture, uh, well, it's probably the major moment in the environmental movement coming from kind of the edges this environmental movement that's growing through the sort of 30s, 40s, 1950s, that suddenly came from the edges. That's definitely not Earthrise. Coming from the edges into the kind of mainstream, into popular uh, culture, popular thinking. A big vision of the world we live on led to a movement to take care of the world we live in. And since 1968, there's been all kinds of incredible uh, developments, haven't there? Advancements in technology, science, medicine. And the photos we see from space are incredible. I lost a whole half a day uh, kind of Googling different images and recent images. And and the level of detail is is astonishing. But at the same time, uh, as these photos show the world in more detail and more of its beauty, it shows a world that's warming up, a world where there's an increase in extreme weather events, where there's soil erosion, and droughts and pollution, increases in our waste, deforestation, loss of biodiversity, and species decline. And all of these are having a damaging impact on our world and of the lives of many in our world, especially those who are probably furthest away from us tonight uh, and who are probably some of the poorest in the world. I guess we are more aware than ever, aren't we, of our impact on the world, and we are probably trying to do more to make a difference Uh, to the way we're living than ever before. Renewable energy, energy efficiency, energy-saving light bulbs, they're part of everyday life now, aren't they? Along with electric cars and recycling and wonky veg boxes and smart meters and talk about carbon footprints. Uh, Climate protesters, climate activists, climate conferences, well, they make our headlines now. But what does God have to say about all of this? Where do we go to? What do we find in the Bible about how God wants us to be living? And relating to the world that we live on, the world he's made. Does following Jesus need to mean we become kind of extreme environmentalists? Does it mean we, we become total skeptics? Or does it mean we just ignore it all together? Well, I think a Christian worldview, a way of viewing things from the Bible, gives us as followers of Jesus some of the best resources, actually, to understand what's going on and how to respond and live. And where I wanted to land this evening uh, is for us to hopefully see that caring for creation is built into the Christian life. Caring for creation is built into the Christian life. That's not me saying that people who are not followers of Jesus uh, are not doing incredible and impressive things uh, to care for the world we live on. 
What I am saying is that the Christian life, the life that Jesus outlines and invites us into, has care of creation built into it. And just as the modern environmental movement uh, was boosted by that big picture that we still can't get on the screen of the earth from space, so I want to suggest our care for creation as Christians in our Christian life is boosted not by a photo of the earth, but by a big vision of Jesus. So we're going to hear uh, some verses read from Colossians chapter 1. I think Greg is going to come and read those for us. Today's reading comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, and can be found on page 1182 of your Pew Bibles. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. I'm just going to invite you now, uh, with the people you're sitting with, and feel free to move if you need to, or you can do this on your own if you're more comfortable uh, that way. Uh, Two minutes to look again at those verses. If you've closed your Bibles, open them again, page 1182. If you switched off your Bibles, switch them on again. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. uh, And just share one thing from those verses that stands out to you, that particularly strikes you. So have a look at them. uh, Chat with the people around you. Or think by yourself, one thing that stands out to you from those six verses. Go. Bring those uh, conversations uh, together. Uh, Rob's got a microphone. He's happy to run around church. So if you want to kind of do the furthest extremes to give him some exercise, that's fine. Uh, anyone want to share what one of their one things that struck them from that passage was? This is how to make everyone go very quiet. Greg, behind you, has got something. It's a bit long-winded, so bear with me. A few, Go for it. Go for it, Greg. A, a few years ago, uh, my son Ollie went to Snug and was taught this, or they did a study on this passage, and in particular, in him all things hold together. And they related it to um, a bonding protein found in every single living cell that binds cells to other cells. It's called laminin. Laminin, under a microscope is a crucifix. You can Google it. So it shows that um, Jesus is in creation right down to molecular level. So that that blew my mind as it blew my son's mind. Not heard that before. And yeah, we've just had a a chemistry slash theology lesson there. Fantastic. Anyone else? uh, What's struck you from this passage? We've got Brian down here. Following on from that, if we look at the end of verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, 
that gives us the connection between the cross and God's world. Mm. Yeah, and, and that picture of reconciling all things. Not just a few people, but all things. Anything else stand out to anybody? Sarah, thank you. This is probably quite a basic and obvious point. I like we basic <laughs> and obvious points. And we were talking about literally the fact that it's the sun is the image and it's, the, it's Jesus who is yeah. the creator. And I think quite often, I don't know why, but when I think about God as creator, I don't often think about Jesus. I think about God the Father and how amazing it is that, particularly at the moment, thinking about Advent, that it's Jesus who created and it's Jesus who came. Brilliant. Yeah, and we'll, we'll dig into that thought in a moment. Uh, one, we've got time for one more. I feel this side of the room have hogged it all so far. Come on, this side. Anything that struck you? No, that's fine. That's fine. So these verses, aren't they? They're crammed with an incredible vision, a big vision about, about Jesus. Um, it seems that Paul's writing uh, to some fairly young Christians in a place called Colossae, and it's as if their vision of Jesus had been shrunk down. It had become black and white and fuzzy instead of being 8K high definition. Uh, and it's this vision of Jesus, I pray the Holy Spirit will share with us tonight, as, and it would lead to us having a concern and to have care for creation and care of creation built into our lives as followers of Jesus, because care of creation is built into the Christian life. And the first thing to spot, and it's picking up what Sarah was, was talking about, is, and it's not hard to see, but it's important to see, is that Jesus is the creator. So Jesus is the son of God. God himself who has been given everything. And we read at the end of verse 16, all things have been created through him and for him. Everything there is was made by Jesus. Everything is here because of Jesus. Everything continues to be here. And continues to keep going because of Jesus. Verse 17. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Jesus is the creator. And I'm very deliberately using the word creation care this evening. Rather than uh, care for nature or care for the environment. Because there's a creator. There's a creator of this world. There's a creator of each one of us. And I love if the technology had worked, that we'd have seen how on that Apollo 8 mission, you had that uh, amazing photo of Earth from the moon, combined with that recording from Genesis chapter 1, reminding us that the world that Jesus created, there's the picture. You're all a bit disappointed now, aren't you? And the world looks like a very funny shape. I think it's been squeezed a bit. There we go. Um, reminding that, that, that Genesis 1 reminding us that God created it and Jesus created it good. And that we've been created with responsibility to take care of it, which means discovering and developing all that Jesus has put into his creation, but not to waste it or to destroy it. And we did a series here at St. Luke's uh, a few months ago on the opening chapters of Genesis. If you want to dig a bit deeper into those, um, you can find that series online and listen again. What's this, what does this mean in terms of creation care? If Jesus is the creator, so what? Well, uh, going back a, a few years, um, uh, uh, for a couple of Christmases, Emily and I were wanting to stay up near uh, Emily's parents for Christmas. Uh, we didn't live close by, um, but we had uh, a good friend who did. And she very kindly let us have her house for a few days. 
Uh, she was always going away for Christmas to see her parents, and she was really grateful of us going there to look after the house while she was away. Emily and I really appreciated being able to stay close by, having somewhere to live, a home to stay in, a home full of nice and beautiful and good things. And we, we did try to take care of it as we, as we were there. Uh, and we probably would, I think, have taken better care of it than maybe we would have taken care of a hotel room we might stay in, or a caravan or a, a cottage you might stay in uh, for a holiday. Why? Because it belonged to our friend. It was hers. And the good things in there, in that house, belonged to her. She'd invited us in, she'd shared what she had with us, and she'd asked us to take care of it. Is that not just a tiny picture here of what's, what's going on? To be a Christian is to, be, is to have Jesus call you friend. It's to be friends with the creator of everything. Creation care is built into the Christian life. And so maybe this week, take some time. Put the screen down. Get outside when you're not in a rush. Go and find something of God's creation that fills, that kind of catches your eye and fills your mind with wonder. Cultivate that wonder. Cultivate thanksgiving. Cultivate worship. The God we meet in Jesus made it. It belongs to him. And he shared it with us and asked us to take care of it. And can I just suggest, tonight's a great night to do that. It's snowed outside. It's like God's highlighter pen. Creation care is built into the Christian life. We're friends of the Creator. Second thing I want us to spot from those verses in Colossians 1. Again, it's not hard to spot. Uh, Jesus is the reconciler. Verses 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The fact that there's a need for reconciliation says, doesn't it, that there's been uh, some kind of division and damage and disruption. It's a division and damage and disruption so major that it requires the Son of God, the fullness of God, to come to us like one of us, to shed his blood and to die on a cross. Jesus is the reconciler of all things because everything has been impacted by our sin, by our uh, desire and determination to walk away from God and his will and his ways. And it's impacted our relationship with God as creator. It's impacted our relationships with each other. And it's impacted our relationship with the world we live in, the creation God has made. These are the consequences in Genesis 3 from God for our sin. But then a question pops into their minds. It pops into mine. But doesn't that mean that the one responsible really for all the damage in the world is God? Because he's disrupted our relationship with the, the world he's made. Well, I think when that question pops into our heads, we need to just take it with a dose of humility. First of all, to recognize that the fault begins with us. The fact that we're not able to live at peace with creation is, is down to us. Well, what God has done is he's built some warning alarms into lots of parts of our lives to tell us that things are not right. We also need to take a dose of humility to realize we cannot ultimately fix things. We cannot save the world. There's no climate deal. There's no climate pledge. There's no action that is big enough to ultimately fix things. However, we can make a real 
and noticeable impact for good, the caring for creation. But until Jesus returns, Paul writes in, in Romans 8 that the creation will groan. That things won't be right. We have to live in a way that knows we might take some amazing steps forward when it comes to caring for our creation. We might have some amazing technological advances uh, that really seem to make, uh, seem to be a step in the right direction, a step for good. And yet at the same time, we men might discover they come with unintended and unexpected side effects that are damaging that we then have to deal with. And we live in this strange tension. doesn't mean we don't do anything, but it humbles us. We care for creation. We, we can't save the planet. Instead, we, we look to the creator. We look to the one who, who promises to recreate, to make everything new, and he starts with you and me. He starts with us. He gave everything he's got to do that. That's why sharing the hope of Jesus with others really matters in the here and now. Because we want those around us to be reconciled to Jesus and included in that new creation in God's new world. So another question pops into the mind, doesn't it? Well, doesn't that mean that surely creation care is not that important? Telling people about Jesus, that's much more important. We should spend all our time doing that. Especially if there's a new creation, does this one really matter? Well, I don't think that's a kind of a right way of thinking. We're told Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. What that means is what's been created matters. Jesus is reconciling all things. And if it matters to him, it, it should matter to his people. In God's new creation, what are we going to be doing? What are you going to be doing? We're going to be caring for it. But we're going to be caring for it in a way that is not impacted by sin. We're going to be caring for it perfectly. So now we live a preview of that life. See, care of creation is built into the Christian life. Because Jesus is the creator. Because Jesus is the reconciler. And lastly, because Jesus is supreme. We get that in verse 18. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So that in everything, including your life, my life, Jesus might have first place. I think that's quite a helpful description of what the Christian life is all about. Jesus taking first place in your life, where our relationship with Jesus shapes and directs every other part of our life. Creation care is built into the Christian life. What was, what was Jesus' reply? I don't know if you remember this. When the expert of the law came up to him and said to him, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What, what, anyone remember Jesus' response? What did he say? Greatest commandment. Yeah, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second, love your neighbor as yourself. Caring for creation surely is part of loving our neighbors. Well, we don't narrow our view of our neighbors to people who are like us or living close to us. Because as I said at the start, lots of the ways we are living has negative impacts on people who are furthest away from us and often in the poorest parts of the world who have the fewest resource, few, far fewer resources than we do. Creation care is built into the Christian life as we love God and love our neighbor. 
Uh, so it's, it's directly there, but I want to suggest it's also indirectly there. Um, in a Bible, or on your phone, Bible on your phone, flick on to 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. And when someone's got a page number, do you want to shout it out? 1194. Does someone want to read verses 6 to 8 of 1 Timothy, chapter 6 for us? Because otherwise you'll be bored of my voice. Anyone want to read that for us? Brilliant. Let me give you a microphone to do that with. Chapter 6. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 6 to 8, please. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Brilliant. Thank you, Brian. See what it says in these verses? If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. So I think there's a, a, a discipline, there's a, a part of the Christian life that we don't often think about, and that's contentment. You know, uh, other people use the word of a kind of spiritual discipline of simplicity, living simply. And I think if we, if we believe that, if we live that out, wouldn't that have a huge impact on the created world? As well as having a huge impact on our own lives for the good. Um, two books that I've been kind of diving into recently um, both talk about it. Uh, so John Mark Comer, The Ruthlessness, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, talks about simplicity in a context of, you know, why are we always feeling busy? But the impact of it will be felt in the created world. And then I picked up this, John Stott's book, The Radical Disciple, which I think was his last book he wrote before he died. Um, I picked it up because there's a chapter on creation care, and I went, aha, he'll give me all my answers. And you know what the chapter after creation care is? Simplicity. I like how one follows on from the other. So there's an indirect way when we are truly wholeheartedly following Jesus, it has an impact for the goods on the created world. Creation care is built into the Christian life. Now, we're living in a time when we are being rightly challenged, aren't we, to consider the impact of our lives uh, and how they, uh, what impact that has on the earth that we live on. Um, we as a family have spent some time recently kind of doing some of that. And, you know, some of the simple things with energy-saving light bulbs and, you know, looking at what we eat and, you know, are we using our car wisely? Have we got the right kind of car? All those sort of questions that I suspect lots of us kind of thinking through. I wonder if God sometimes will use those challenges not to be kind of looking at seeing how green our lives are, but how wholeheartedly we are following Jesus. I hope in Colossians 1 we've seen uh, that Jesus is the creator, Jesus is the reconciler, Jesus is supreme. And creation care is built into our life because Jesus as creator has called us friend. We know and experience his reconciliation. And we are living now with him shaping the different parts of our lives. 